right. Well, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Bible Quest, the Tuesday edition. Uh, I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler. And uh, so today uh, we have uh, Dan Bunting with us. How are you doing today, Dan? I'm doing well. Thanks. Good to see you. Um, we got Justin Dobbs. How are you, Justin? Doing well, thank God. To see you guys um and scott may or may not be joining us but right now it's just the three of us so we'll go ahead and get started uh with our discussion so we're gonna continue a little bit of what we've been doing over the past few weeks and just talking about bible study reading the bible how to read the bible how not to read the bible different genres and things like that and we left off last week talking about kind of the ideas found in second peter chapter three um, and how to rightly approach the scripture, how to not approach the scripture, and things like that. And so, do one of you guys want to start just by reading Second uh, Peter chapter three, fifteen and sixteen, and, and just kind of reiterate, talk about what Peter's point is, and and then we'll start moving in what we want to discuss today. Yeah, I can read that. It's Second uh, Peter three, fifteen through sixteen. Uh, Peter says, count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. So, yeah, just to kind of uh, um, review this, uh, Paul uh, write some difficult things, um, which uh, I find some amount of comfort in, but even an inspired writer like Peter, who spent time with the Lord, uh, was trained by Jesus person personally, um, he, he still found these things difficult to, to work through. And it's the working through them oftentimes that provides the uh, progress in our spiritual maturity rather than just being given answers. Uh, God's not just downloading information. Uh, he wants us to have a communication. Actually, I was having a conversation about this last night with my son. Um, we we're talking about the process of inspiration. How does that work? And I don't know because I've not been inspired before. Um, as, and, and you don't see God just sort of like cracking open the skull and saying, here's the information, and then, you know, send it out. But there's a conversation. And just like I talk with my wife, um, I'm hearing words. And I think I understand, but sometimes I don't but the relationship is built on this desire to know each other. Uh, obviously with God, so much more than that. Um, but when God speaks to people, he expects us to get it. Uh, he created us to be able to understand, but there's, there's a lot of work that we have to do to understand, but we can understand it. Two things that get in our way though, is ignorance and instability. Um, just not knowing, just not spending the time uh, to study the scriptures like we should spending time on our favorite passages and not really moving on to see the full Bible story uh, or how one passage supports uh, a more accurate reading in another passage. We're not seeing uh, a consistency across the board and then being unstable. And I think maybe the unstable is, you guys correct me here, um, is that sort of the idea where I uh, inconsistently apply Bible truths and principles. Uh, and so I'll, I'll say it it's this way over here, but then I'll, I won't apply it that way over here. What, what do you see behind that word unstable? Oh, I, I see that as similar to the problem that Paul addresses in Ephesians. Until we get to the mature manhood, it's so easy for us to be 
pushed around by different ideas, pushed around by all the waves and winds of doctrine. And so I think that, uh, well, one idea that I was actually wanting to express, and I think it, it illustrates this idea well, is if you're reading through a Bible passage and it gives you two ideas, I think this, I think Jesus is saying, it could be two different things and they seem really different from each other. And you're trying to figure out which one is right. If one of them fits with everything you've read in the Bible and one of them goes against everything you've read in the Bible, you have a pretty good clue um, as to as to which one it is. But if you're inexperienced, like you're saying, um, or if uh, if I'm inexperienced with the text and I don't know what the general story of the Bible says, I might have a hard time picking. Or if I am easily swayed by different aspects of my environment or my mood or my interests of the day, I might pick the interpretation that that doesn't match the, mm -hmm. the general story of the Bible. So my instability uh, can affect my interpretation. Yeah. Yeah. And so in second Peter, that's obviously, you know, big emphasized point that Peter makes, make sure you're not unstable, make sure you're not ignorant, make sure you're not twisting those things to your own destruction. We'll just put another kind of exclamation point on that. And then we want to kind of break down some specific texts that often get used out of context and maybe kind of go through some exercises and notice how do you discover the context? How do you use the context well? And how can you maybe misunderstand the context and, and twist that to something destructive or or maybe even just make a a good point but that's not the point that this text that you're using is making and kind of being able to realize that um in second timothy chapter two paul's writing to uh, another preacher timothy and giving him instructions on make sure that you're reminding people of the gospel make sure you're reminding them that christ you know was risen and and all these sorts of things and in second timothy 2 verse 14 he says remind them remind the people you're teaching of these things charge them before god not to quarrel about words which do not uh which does no good but only ruins the hearers, do your best to present yourself as, to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. And just Paul saying that, obviously in first, there are wrong ways to handle the word of truth. Um, so we, we picked out a few different kind of examples of things in their context that often get misused. And we want to talk about those, maybe how they get misused and how to use them correctly. And hopefully that will help kind of get the wheels turning on being able to handle all scripture well and accurately. Um, so Scott, it's good to see you. Um, Scott uh, joined us now. Um, you had one that you wanted to talk about. I think, Scott, you want to start with, with yours and I think Isaiah 55. Yeah, let's take a look at that one. So this is a text. This is an example of making a good point from a wrong text. Okay, so the point that people often use to get from this text is not a bad point. There are other passages that make that point. Uh, but we'll look at the context and see whether or not this one is that. And maybe we'll just illustrate this first by saying, uh, I found a letter on the floor. Now, completely out of context, you might be you know, thinking what that might mean. If the context is, I've got a three-year-old in the house and I'm standing in front of the refrigerator. What kind of letter did I might, might maybe find on the floor? Magnetic letter. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas if I'm cleaning up my office, what might I mean? Magnetic letter. Same, well, same yeah. thing. <laughs> <laughs> it's in your office. 
we're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, so here's a text that uh, I'm a lot familiar with, and it says um, in Isaiah 55, open there in your Bible if you've got your Bible, and it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts, Okay. Now, usually when I hear this referred to, it's referred to in the sense that God is smarter than us, which is God smarter than us. Yes. Yes. How many things does God know that we don't know? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> uh, God created us. And when you start thinking about just the complexity in one single cell, you know, uh, it just... So, of course, God knows more than us, and he's omniscient. Uh, but is that what the text is talking about? And in a minute, I'll ask, if it's not, I'll ask for some verses that do point to the omniscience of God and do point to the fact that God is smarter than us. Hmm. But let's take a look here at the context. Uh, verse 6. What does verse 6 say? Seek the Lord while he may be found call upon him while he is near yeah so that's an instruction that's telling us what to do seek the lord and part of seeking the lord is going to involve like in colossians and ephesians to put on the old man what do you have to do take off the old put on the new man you have to put off the old man so look at verse seven let the wicked do what forsake his way and let the unrighteous man forsake his thoughts. Yeah. So remember those two things. The wicked and the unrighteous are to get rid of their old ways and their old thoughts. So like, what are some of the ways and thoughts of a wicked, unrighteous person? Thinks in his heart, there is no God. Yeah. Yeah. That's, a, that's one. What's another? being maybe uh self-focused selfish looking out for yourself and things like that so let's just take a look at the ten commandments uh he's looking at his neighbor's wife he's looking at his neighbor's stuff he's wanting his neighbor's house he's stealing his neighbor's stuff he's you know his thoughts are bad and his actions are bad and this says let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and return to who return to the lord Return to the Lord. And if he will do that, what will the Lord do? He'll have compassion. Yeah. And have pardon on him for all those commandments he's been breaking. So here's why he needs to do it. Because in verse 8, my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. Yeah. yeah. You need to stop thinking the way you're thinking and acting the way you're acting because that's not my way of thinking and acting and you got to stop that and change in fact the difference between god's ways and your ways is like this so you got to do a lot of repenting so this passage is not telling us about what we are what's impossible for us to do be as smart as god or be omniscient this passage is talking about what we're morally responsible to do put away our evil thoughts and evil ways 
and start you know, Colossians 3, you know, uh, put, have this mind. I can't quote Colossians 3, 1 right now. Can somebody quote that? Have this mind and you seek the things that are above. That, that's the idea here. Your mind is blank. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. For Christ to see at the right hand of God, yeah. Thank you. Uh, so before we leave this and go to the next text, let's just verify. If you want to use a text to show that God knows things we don't know, what would be a better text to use? You could stay even still in Isaiah and go back a few chapters to Isaiah 40. Um, and that seems to be one of the big points in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 12, uh, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand and marked off the heavens with a span and closed the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains and the scales and the hills in balance? Who has measured the spirit of the Lord or what man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice, taught him his knowledge, who showed him the way of understanding? And those are all rhetorical questions where the answer is no one. <laughs> God didn't need anyone. He's smarter than us. He knows more than us. He made everything. Whereas who's capable of repenting and stopping, you know, uh, having their minds set on the flesh and turning and serving God? We might do that, but we can't do these things. Job, remember the chapters of Job where there's lots yep. there. All right. So what's another example? Somebody give another example. Okay, good, Justin. Well, just real quick on, on Isaiah 55, I just, I find this concept of um, teaching the right idea from the wrong passage uh, really challenging because it, it means we're missing out on the fullness of scripture. So we might kind of get stuck in a mental rut, especially if we're saying topically, uh, where we, we're looking for passages that use a certain word or certain phrase. We look up God and thoughts and we go, oh, well, there's Isaiah 55. And then we miss the boat on what repentance is. And so we don't see that that fuller, deeper gift that God's given us in this passage. Um, I think that that's, that's really challenging. It means I'm stuck only seeing what I want to see rather than looking to see the fullness of God, what he's giving me. So, yeah, and there's uh, another example, because I think this is something that happens a lot. Um, where you take a scripture and you make a point that's right, but you're not using the scripture for what it's intended to be used. Um, and so you got Isaiah 55. Another one that comes to my mind is Matthew 18. Uh, Matthew 18, verse 20. Big favorite verse of a lot of people. Matthew 18, verse 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. That's Jesus speaking when he says that. Um, and people like to use that verse to make the point. See, God is even present whenever there's a small group or even whenever I'm alone, God is with you. And that's like a comforting thing uh, in that. But when you look at the context of why Jesus said that, he's got a significant amount of speech before verse 20 in Matthew chapter 18. And in verse 15, uh, he's talking about uh, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him your fault between you and him alone. And if you kind of follow what Jesus is talking about, he mentions two or three people gathered together before verse 20. Um, in uh, verse 16, you're confronting your brother that sinned against you. Uh, and even if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. So then you've got the two or three witnesses establishing the charges that are there. If he refuses to listen to them, then you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to the church, then withdraw from him. Let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. So what Jesus is talking about here is the correct process of disciplining a brother or sister 
who is living in sin and refusing to repent. Um, and so there are other passages that talk about that. Paul mentions this in like first Corinthians chapter five, but that's a difficult process to go through. Um, and so when Jesus gets to verse 20, the point that he's making is not God will be there to comfort you no matter where you are, no matter how few in number that you are. The point that he's making in the context is this is a difficult teaching. This is a difficult process to go through whenever your brother or sister is sinning and you need to discipline them. And if they don't listen, then you have to go through this process and withdraw from them. That's hard. But where you've got two or three people in agreement in Christ's teaching and you're going forward with this discipline, Jesus is there you're acting in Jesus's name uh, in that. And so Jesus is active kind of in that process. Um, and so that can be really easy to use that passage to say, see, look, God is with us. Um, and so, you know, we can take great comfort and you can't go anywhere that God is not going to be there with you. That's a right Bible passage or a right Bible concept. And we can find that elsewhere. Maybe we'll maybe talk about a couple of those there. That's not what Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 18. He's talking about a difficult process that Christians need to go through when repentance is not happening among their brethren. Scott, your mic is muted, Scott. Along with that, if we interpret this as a quorum necessary to be able to worship, you know, so it's like, okay, 100 people, you can worship 20 people, three, two, but if you don't have two or three, <clears throat> so the Ethiopian eunuch, after he leaves Philip, then he's headed to Ethiopia. Is he unable to worship? Paul in prison, is he unable to worship? No. You know, when Paul and Silas are in prison singing, he had two. But what if Silas hadn't been there? Would the Lord not have been with Paul? And so, yeah, I, I think there's a, a kind of simplistic misunderstanding of that text. Yeah. Yeah. And you can find other passages that will talk about God's presence with you. Uh, even whenever you're alone or few in number, one of my favorite ones is Psalm 139, where, uh, you know, the, the psalmist is talking about in Psalm 139 verse 7, where shall I go from your spirit or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you're there. And, and you know, I can go to the bottom of the sea. I can have darkness thrown over me, but God, you're still there. Um, and so God is with his people. The Bible is very clear about that. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 18. There's a deeper, more full teaching, like what Justin was saying, that God's people need to be aware of and, and willing to, to do. And when we're willing to do those hard things that Jesus is instructing in Matthew 18, Jesus is right there confirming, and, and his name is, is with that. So. Maybe one that uh, people use a lot, uh, but it's it's not right. It's just, it's not even uh, the right teaching, wrong, wrong text. It's just wrong teaching. Um, Romans eight, uh, uh, verses 28 through 30. And it's really just 28 and a, a piece of 28 that I've found gets used a lot kind of in a, you know, comfort one another or encourage each other kind of, um, mostly hear it in this sort of Southern accents, you know, God knows the plans that he has for you, that, that kind of thing. Jeremiah 29, 11 is a very similar passage, but it, it goes on a coffee cup. All things work together for good. And, uh, you know, God's got my back. He's sort of my cosmic genie. And we'd never say that, but just sort of understand that um, God would never let anything bad ever happen to you. Um, something similar to what Satan said to Jesus, tempting him to 
<laughs> to jump down and prove he's the son of God. But when you start reading the context, even just in 28 through 30, Paul says, we, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. So he's already put a condition on it. You got to love God. And there's another condition for those who are called according to his purpose. So I, I need to be interested, committed to his plan for me. But what is his plan for me? What's his purpose for me? Verse 29, uh, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. It seems like in that context, the good that God wants to accomplish is to make us like Jesus. Well, what would that require? If you go back and read in the broader context of Romans 8, uh, check out verse 16 and 17. Uh, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, that sounds good, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So it may not be that uh, all things work together for good. I'm going to get the job of my dreams. I'm going to get the wife of my dreams, the house of my dreams. All these things are going to work out. I'm going through this dark time right now so that God can abundantly bless me, maybe in some material temporal sense. That, that's not really God's ultimate purpose for me. He's, he's trying to shape me to be like Jesus. And there's a lot of work to be done there. Uh, and it's going to require suffering. It's going to require trials. And he's going to be working on me. So it's a, a powerful passage. And sometimes we go about this deep with it, that God's a good God. And we leave it there. We don't see the good thing that he's trying to do, which is to make us more fit for heaven by making us like his son. Reminds me of uh, a similar passage in Philippians. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It's a great, great point. Well said. But sometimes people apply it to things like, I can make the college team. I can be a starter. I will be in the <coughs> major leagues, or I will be in the NFL or in the NBA. I will win the Super Bowl because I can do all things. <coughs> the, but the context in Philippians is what? Paul's a prisoner. And eventually, sometime later, he's going to be executed. Uh, but in the meantime, they, he's received a gift from the Philippians and said, thank you for sending it, but I could have got by without it because I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I've learned to both to be full and to be hungry, to abound and suffer need. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. Whatever comes my way, I can get through it with Christ not necessarily fulfill, you know, mean that I'm, I'm going to buy a Rolls Royce. Dan. Well, and I, I like that illustration that you're using. It, it ties into one of the things that I was thinking about. We're talking about how to, how to do this reading and uh, our, our readings of the Bible, how to do it the right way. Uh, and one of the realities is that one common thread that of all these ideas that we're trying to link together is uh, that the activity is on us as the reader and that we need to be sincere or um, honest with ourselves when we are reading. And so one of the fun examples that I have is I've worked teaching a lot of um, young students. I've worked a lot of middle schools, both in public education and at Bible classes. And 
I enjoy reading the Bible with middle school age kids because they have the reading uh, comprehension necessary and they get all the hard stuff. They, they can read it and they can understand what's going on uh, almost always. And they demonstrate a, a keen understanding, kind of in the same way that when Paul says in Ephesians 3, when you read this, you can understand, you can perceive my uh, insight into the mystery. Paul is saying, if we read it, we can get it. We can understand it. Sometimes our baggage or our own personal insincerity gets in the way. And so I want to, um, I want to be encouraged to, 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 to make some goal to be on the NBA team. And uh, I believe I'm tall enough to play in the NBA. And um, everyone who knows me personally says that you're, you're going to, you, you can't do all things. Um, <laughs> uh, and, but so, but the problem with that is my insincerity as I'm coming to the scriptures. It's not a problem with the scriptures or, it, or even that the scriptures are difficult. I'm coming in with some insincerity. And all, we, all I need to do is take the time and read carefully. One example that I wanted to look at, just kind of going through some ideas in Mark, just because I thought, I think, I think Jesus does this a bunch. In seven and eight, there's just a few moments uh, where, where you can see uh, that Jesus, he's not doing it with Bible reading. He is the reading, right? Jesus is the word. And so when Jesus speaks... It's like, and, and then how people react to him, it's, it's a live example of somebody reading the scriptures and interpreting or misunderstanding the scriptures. And so Jesus talks about how um, it, it is not what goes uh, inside a person that defiles a person. It's that which comes uh, from within that defiles a person. And everyone's confused by that. Uh, what are you talking about? So they, they don't quite understand what he's saying. I, I think a clear example is in the story where he's in, talking to the Syrophoenician woman in verse 24 through 30. She wants help from Jesus and he answers her in verse 27, let the children be fed first for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. What is he talking about? There's nothing about dogs and children in this passage. She knows exactly what he's saying Almost everyone who reads it knows exactly what he's saying and feels that internal conflict of, did he just call this woman a dog? There's like, like that odd little moment there. She gets it. She says, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Wait, is this secret code? Now we're talking about crumbs in a table? No, you read the story and you let the story reveal to you what is going on. Uh, in, in later in the next chapter, in verses 11 through 13 of chapter 8, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. How true is that statement? How many more miracles does Jesus do after that statement? How many times do people see signs from him? In fact, they murder him and he comes back from the dead. And that is itself the greatest of all signs. But Jesus is, he's responding to the concept. He's responding to their ideas. They're looking for a sign and they won't get it. Maybe he means the sign that they want, they won't get, or the sign that they would like. They're not going to get that kind of a sign or Every sign that God gives, they'll reject, so they're not going to get the sign. So there's ways that we can read through these things and get some in interpretation. The next story is where Jesus says, watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. 
and the apostles, in, a, in essence, reading this text, they have no idea what he's talking about. And he's expecting them to figure this out, figure out from the context, what's been going on for the past few days, what's the environment that we live in. And, and I don't know if every middle schooler in the world could have figured that out, but I believe a lot of the middle schoolers I've interacted with could have read Jesus's words and known what the apostles were supposed to learn from it because they're interested, they're engaged in the reading, uh, they are sincere with themselves. Just what is the Bible telling me? Not what am I telling the Bible to tell me is maybe the big idea there. So reading, we got to be careful and, and, and we have to try and we have to work, but it's not out of reach. It's not too complicated uh, or so complicated that we can't figure it out. Go ahead, John. One of the things that, that made me think, Dan, is kind of one of the consistent pitfalls in looking at each one of these passages that we've looked at so far is the danger of assuming that you know what the Bible is saying before you actually go and read it, and just mm -hmm. like the, the danger of assumption. And one of my favorite Bible stories to read to show and illustrate the danger of assumption is in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Um, where uh, David wants to build the temple for God. And he assumes, you know, I've got this great house and it's better than God's house because God's still living in the tabernacle at that point in a tent. But David has this big palace and he's like, I, I need to make God a, a nicer house. Obviously God would want that. And so he goes and he asks Samuel, who is the priest and prophet at that time, can I make God this nice house? And Samuel, yeah, and Samuel says, go ahead, <laughs> go do it. And then later that night, God comes to Samuel and says, no, I don't want David to make me that house. You can't just assume that that's what I want because it sounds right to you or feels right to you or, or whatever. And so even Samuel, the priest and prophet of the time, a, a godly person assumed incorrectly. <laughs> and if Samuel can assume incorrectly, we can certainly assume incorrectly. And that just illustrates like we need to listen to what God says, not what we think God is going to say. Or we need to listen what, to what God feels, not what we think God is going to feel. God's revealed a lot to us of, of how to understand. And that I think Mark 7 and 8 perfectly kind of illustrate that. Just, just listening is so much more valuable than assuming that we know what God's going to say before it's been said. Justin, I think you were going to say something. Uh, yeah, I just, I, both, both those points are helpful. Uh, I just, Dan's, uh, I'm feeling uh, challenged here as a, as a dad. There are times where my children, especially my uh, oldest, Elijah, uh, he's, he'll be 12 later this year. He's a Christian now. Uh, and he, in his daily Bible reading, will come across something. He'll come and say, Dad, I don't understand. What does this mean? What is this going on? And a lot of times I'll walk through it with him and point out, well, this and this and this and explain it. And do you understand now? Uh, okay. Yeah, that's really, I get it. Thanks, Dad. And thinking about it now, that's probably not good for him. <laughs> uh, long term, that's not the best way to teach him. I, I really need to slow down more and point out some things and then ask him questions, try to lead him so that he sees it himself because um, then, like you said, most junior high students can get this. And, and Jesus didn't just say, guys, by the way, the kingdom of heaven is, and then just blow their minds with revealing it uh, in you know, living color. He, he tells them parables and then asks them, what do you think this means? And what do you think that means? And mm -hmm. then you've answered correctly. 
and I, I, I need to do a better job of letting him root around in the text uh, to come to those conclusions. Those will be lessons he learns better and he'll be developing the kind of skills we're talking about. So thanks for that, Dan. And a lot of times it's it's just handing him the geography or, oh, that's an Old Testament character or that's referring to a story that maybe he doesn't know. And that there, there you're just giving him the data. You're not giving him the answer that, you know, where the reference goes to. That's why it's always good to have a, uh, a friend who knows the Bible better than you are because they can give you those references. And then you take those references and you go back and you sit and think about it. Scott? And what, what Justin was talking about there, and I know this, and I try to remember it, and then I over and over fail to do it enough. When we're studying with people, same thing easily happens. There's so many things we want to get taught to them. There's so much limited time, and it's quicker if we tell them. And it's more powerful and more effective if we let them read it and let them see it. And, and bring through a text and to a text and then ask them what it says, ask them what it means. They will remember it much, much better. And they will realize that's what they saw in the word instead of when we tell them that. Dan and Justin, you want to go ahead. Justin, you, you go first. Sorry. Well, and the same thing, Scott. Like I, I know that's true, uh, but I've also found the same thing is true when I'm trying to help a, a brother uh, or a couple who are struggling. And I just, I think, oh, they need to hear this, 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 this. And I want to preach at them. Uh, and instead, I need to lead them through that. And uh, you, know, you ask questions. And what do you think this means? And how does this apply to your life? You see now. Uh, or when we're disciplining our children. Um, instead of just saying, what were you thinking? You should have said this, 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 and done this, this, this. And then, um, but instead slowing down and helping them think through it, um, as they discover it themselves, they'll be more convicted, they'll want to change. But that's helpful. Yes. Yeah. And that's just part of um, uh, the, the concepts and the philosophies of education. You know, what What is the method that, uh, human beings best learn? What are the different techniques that we can use? And, and, and how does, how do you help a student best engage in, in learning? And a lot of times people get excited about charts and things on the wall and, and all sorts of different uh, memory tools. And, and those tools and those ideas are really helpful. But the best way of uh, learning that a person uh, can have is engaging their mind in the mind of another. And, and when we have the Bible, I mean, we're talking about the ultimate mind. So when I let my mind read God's word, my mind, my heart is touching the word and the mind and the heart of God. And there's a connection there. And then, okay, so I've, I've eaten it. I've put that into my system, but I don't, it, it has to be processed. And so one thing that is really valuable for people and is powerful in, in education is having someone narrate back or retell, what did you just read? They read a parable and they tell the parable back. That is writing that right into your, into your brain, making the connections in their brain. As they're making the connections, what was the story? It's going to start firing off connections to the other things that they've read. And, and that is the way that we all learn best. Um, uh, memorizing passages is helpful 
so that we have them on the tip of our tongue. But to learn the ideas, we have to connect our mind to those ideas and to speak those ideas. And that connection that you made, like a general principle of education, we need to use common sense when reading the Bible, the same way we use common sense in other things. Mm -hmm. Many of us have misunderstood a conversation because we walked into the middle of conversation and heard a sentence with some pronouns, he, she, or they. We didn't know who they were talking about, what we thought we did, and then we misunderstood the whole thing. Whereas if we had been in on that conversation from the beginning, it would have been very clear. And the, the, the epistles weren't meant to be studied one word or one verse at a time. Amen. So instead of just memorizing proof texts, learn the text, read the text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, hey, Jonathan had something. Oh, right. And then we, I think we still need to get to, uh, have you presented a text yet, Justin? I forgot yet. Yeah. I, I did, yeah, Romans 8. Okay, that's right, that's right. I'm, I'm having a senior moment. Go ahead, John. <laughs> yeah, well, one interesting thing that I've noticed is consistent and it's just piggybacking up off of some of the things that you guys have said, uh, consistent kind of admonition in the scriptures is an idea found in, in Hebrews chapter five. Uh, it's also in Ephesians chapter five and, and a couple of other places um, where that the Hebrew author in Hebrews five wants to talk about some difficult subjects, but he's not able to uh, because the people that he wants to teach are still on the basic principles of God's word and haven't been growing and trying to apply themselves and get off what the Hebrew author calls it the milk of the word rather than the meat of the word. Um, and he says in uh, verse 12, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles and the oracles of God. You need milk and not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child, but solid food is for the mature. And then this is how he describes the mature. And I think this is really a fascinating idea. Um, the mature are those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil that they're training their discernment. Um, Paul says a similar thing in Ephesians chapter five, as children of God, walking as children of light, we should try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord um, and expose the unfruitful works of darkness. So understanding through constant practice and study and devotion to God's word, getting a deeper knowledge of evil and righteousness, a deeper knowledge of God's mind and maybe Satan's mind or fleshly versus spiritual or all those kinds of things, but it's this constant growth practice. One frustrating thing I think that can happen uh, in studying the Bible is you can feel like you get the Bible and it's this huge book. And it's like, how am I ever gonna you know, know all of this? How am I ever gonna you know, understand everything here? Um, and that can be really a daunting task, a really wearisome task in that. But understanding how the Bible is meant to be approached, it's supposed to be approached as this process of growing and learning more. It's not just you need to learn all this in a week or you're doomed. Uh, it's grow constantly, take little steps. And that can be just learning the stories. Uh, I've studied with some guys that uh, don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know who Moses is. They don't know who Noah is. Um, and it's like, well, a good place to start with them is like, let's just get into the stories and learn about the history of God and his people. And, and you know, that's a good place to start. There, there's always a helpful place to start. But the idea is 
apply yourself. And that's why the Hebrew author is upset with some of these Christians that he's writing to. They've neglected to apply themselves, to train themselves. And the idea in Hebrews 5.14 is constant practice. Um, if you just think, I'm going to read this a couple of times and then I'm going to get it, or I'm going to get my key verses and then I'm good. No, we need to constantly be applying ourselves, constantly be practicing, constantly be reading. And what's been amazing to me, I'm, I'm 27. Um, I think my favorite book that I've read maybe the most, um, maybe I won't say favorite book because I have different favorite books depending on what I'm studying, but the book that I've probably read the most in my 27 years is probably Acts. Um, that's, I think, an easy read, helpful for a lot of different reasons, just good basic history of the early church. Every time that I read Acts and study it with someone else, though, I learn something new. And I don't think that's exaggerating. Um, like every, almost every single time I'm like, wow, I didn't see that the first time. Uh, and I think that's true for like everyone, you know, no matter how long you've been reading, if you're really devoted to just digging into God's word, God's word is a living kind of organism. Hebrew talks, Hebrews talks about that in Hebrews chapter four, that the word of God is living and active, able to pierce and, and separates, you know, thoughts and spirit and intentions of the heart and all that kind of stuff. If you're really devoted to doing that, reading the Bible is a really exciting thing. And so don't think of it as like, man, this is a huge task. This is a really frustrating thing. How am I ever going to know all of this? Just read it with the excitement of like what Dan was saying, uh, a middle schooler <laughs> that can, you know, be into it, understand the stories and, and get what God intends for us. God does not intend for the Bible to be some mystical thing that only certain people can get and not everyone can get. Mm -hmm. It's accessible for everyone. Um, and that's really helpful. Cool. Mm -hmm. as, we, as we close out, let's also a couple of reminders and caveats in there as important as context is that gets abused uh so how many times you've been studying with somebody and they read something that they don't like and so they say well you took it out of context even if they just read it you didn't say anything about it you know uh so i remember one time with uh, uh members of a cult and uh there was quite and they uh a text came up and they said well you took that out of context so I just asked him, I said, well, what is the context of that passage? And of course, they didn't know. It, it yeah. just came, it, it, you, when you're in trouble, you just claim. And another thing, and we've mentioned this before, is when people start straightjacking context. You don't like what it says. And so you try to say, uh, like, I remember one time for, uh, for Acts 238, somebody said, well, but that was spoken to Jews. And we're not Jews. Well, yeah, X two thirty eight was spoken to Jews, but that doesn't mean it's limited to that. Um, uh, sometimes people will look at the instructions in First Corinthians fourteen and try to limit it to Corinth uh, about uh, women in the assembly. Said, well, that there was a specific thing in the context here, but wait, it said as in all churches of the saints. Well, but the context is spiritual gifts. There's other things in those chapters, too, even though the general topic is this. There's a pretty good description of love right in the middle of 12 through 14. That's just uh, for the Corinthians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, um, the, in malice, be like babes, but in mind, be men. We don't get to ignore that because, well, the context is spiritual gifts. Uh, and so pay attention to the context, but then don't use a context flag like a referee just trying to claim something's out of context just because we don't like what it says.
Well, that just gets to be a sincere reader. I mean, if, if that's if that's what we are doing, it's because we're insincere with ourselves, with the word and with God, most importantly. We just need to be sincere and honest. This whole... Sorry, go ahead, Jonathan. No, yeah, go ahead. Well, this, the whole uh, discussion reminds me a lot of Psalm 1. Um, you know, his delight is in the law, for he meditates on it day and night. That this is not a man who's blessed by God so that he can look deep into himself and learn more of who he is. It's, it's a man who wants God desperately to tell him how to live and to tell him what to think and then tell him what to feel because he knows that the way that he would go, he's surrounded by other people who are going that way, the wicked scoffers, the simple, uh, and he doesn't want to go that way. He wants to go God's way. So he's trying to get out of himself. And so if we go to the Bible looking for things that we already think that we already believe we're just looking for confirmation uh, we're just we're to, we're we're going to destroy ourselves kind of going back to second Peter three but i think psalm one i, I want to be more like the man who's just wanting god to tell me what to do uh, that that's blessed yeah. very good all right um well thank you guys for your discussion today we're we're out of time and so we'll wrap up right there um, but to our audience, uh, if you have any more questions or maybe specific things you'd like us to discuss pertaining to context or understanding a particular verse or book or, or chapter, um, we'd be happy to, to get into that. You can submit your questions about that to BibleQuest.tv, and we'll be happy to go through with that. Or any other questions that you would like us to discuss, uh, maybe how to deal with uh, current events and culture biblically and, and looking at those or, uh, or anything else um, that we can help with. That's why we do this. We want to talk about what you want to talk about. We want to help you with things that you're struggling with or, or trying to learn what God's will is in a particular area. We can open up the Bible and do that together. So um, please let us know any of those things that you want us to talk about, and we can do those in our future shows. Uh, but that's all we have for this week. And so we hope to see everyone next week, Lord willing, on Tuesday.